Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. So listen, I I, want to just uh, reiterate some of the things that Daryl said earlier. I was in here when Daryl was speaking, so hopefully Daryl said important things earlier. Um, one of them being that uh, Well Discovery is next week. What's Well Discovery? So um, we are a new church, and maybe you didn't join us on our first Sunday, but even if you did, um, I am a big believer in that we want to share with you as much as, as possible so that you can make a great decision if this is for you. Um, um, one thing hide behind, if you've never heard in any of our advertising, any of our promotion, we are the only church in Baltimore, that we are the best church in and around Baltimore, um, but, but I want you to feel fully confident in who we are. Uh, I, I want to share with you um, a little bit about our story and how we came up to be here. Uh, I, want, I, I want you to just kind of fact check some of the things that you may have heard. Yes, we did move here in the middle of a pandemic. It's actually like this. This is when we moved here. It's crazy. Like this is like, you know, uh, we've been up here for, for three years now, uh, this week. Um, and I, I, I want to share with you a little bit of story and even like this, uh, the family that we come from, the family of churches that we come from and some of the ideals and some of the things that we love about us and, and even some of the distinctives from some of the other mainline um, um, denominations and, and things of that. And I want to do all of this over a meal. You know, if you've been around our church for a while, you know that we don't know how to meet without eating. You know, like that, that's, it's, it's a problem that we have and it's a problem that I am very proud of and that we will always have to be a part of what we do and who we are. Uh, I, I just think that like, you know, so much of the gospel and gospel conversations are best done over food. So as much as, if I could, I would serve you all lunch, like right now. It'd be like a nice little, we may need to do that for Mother's Day, by the way. Just like have like a, a like an omelet bar and like someone like serving like, you know, just the moms though. Everybody else could get their own food. Um, just saying. So yeah, so uh, but we want you to come to Well Discovery. I want you to, to come and join us. Even if you've been around for a long period of time, if you were with us when we were still meeting at our house, uh, I would love for you to come and just be a part of those conversations. Um, as we are stepping closer to like, you know, what it means to be a member of our church and a part of our family, I, I want you to be as, and, and part of as many of these conversations as possible in, uh, uh, you know, amongst others. So um, we're such a small church and uh, I want us to have these experiences and these times together. So please, that would help us if um, today is Sunday um, we got to put in um, how many people are going to be joining us for that by Wednesday. So either today by the QR code or going to the website, um, please sign up for that. Um, and you can bring your kids, okay? You can bring your kids. There is, um, at, the, at the Whole Foods, like, we'll have, like they can join us for as much as they want. They probably want to be here, hear some of it too. Like, you know, our kids are a part of our church as well. Um, but there's also like a little game room up there. And I th- there on my right, is it free? Yeah, there's like pinball and stuff like that. They can come and they can play there if you want. Um, but yeah, but we want you to come and be a part of that, okay? Um, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, we started this series in the book of John called The One and Only. Uh, and the idea behind it was that we would learn to and we would kind of uh, lean into the understanding and the belief that Jesus is the one and only Messiah. And like we may hear that and think immediately, well, duh, Dane, there's no other person out here claiming to be Messiah. There are folks that do that, but that's not the point. The, um, the point more so is that if we are really truly going to believe that Jesus is the one and only Messiah, do we actually live our lives like that? 
Do I actually live my, my life as if Jesus is the only one that can save me and satisfy me? Do I actually like, look to him as the salvation for my circumstances? Do I look to him for the salvation of my eternity? Am I approaching life in a way that Jesus is actually the one and only? And um, if you were here last week, we talked about the purpose behind um, what Jesus did here on earth. And I'm specifically looking at the miracles, the miracles and the wonders and the signs. Um, what was the purpose behind it? And some of the things that we said is that he did it so that we would find and follow him. In the first three chapters of the book of John, we see that Jesus is having uh, uh, these, uh, these amazing things happen. And even the conversations that he was starting um, before he even did miracles were so that Simon and, and, uh, and some of the other disciples would be like, huh, maybe we should follow him. And even going and tell their brothers and saying like, hey, listen, we, uh, we think we found the Messiah. We're going to follow him. And, and, and like the, basically the conversation of come and see, we think we found the one that we've been waiting for for, for so long. And then uh, we also talked about how he, would be, uh, he did all the things that he did here on earth so that we would be witnesses for him. The idea behind like that we would hope and, and we would look towards um, uh, um, having someone um, uh, um, to, uh, that was going to save our souls and actually like sharing that with other people. We see before Jesus even goes to the cross that some of the disciples are telling their brothers and telling their friends, hey, you need to come and see that the Messiah is here. There's witnessing about Jesus even before he even goes to the cross. We also talked about how um, so that we would understand um, understand that Jesus understands and cares about our human circumstances. We talked about the story where Jesus goes to a, a wedding, right? And, and Mary's like, listen, I, I, I may not even have seen him do a miracle. I was talking about this on Wednesday, and, and uh, one of the folks at our community circle said, of course Jesus was doing miracles growing up, right? Like, there was probably teenage Jesus that when Mary said, Jesus, go clean your room, he just like nodded and said, it is finished, right? Like, it probably was happening uh, even as a teenager. Um, but you know, so but we see here that this is a situation where even though it's not the most important thing, we know that Jesus does care about our circumstances. That it will, when it when it benefits us and it's actually for our ultimate good, that He does step into our human circumstances, even when we don't understand. And when He doesn't step into our human circumstances, an effort for us to under uh, for us to go through things and to persevere through our trials and circumstances, so that we can persevere and we can grow. Um, and Ultimately, he wants us to take the father, the father seriously, but most importantly, he wants us to be born again and to have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. That's why he came to, to us, and that's why he came to be with us. And even the big purpose behind all of these miracles, it shows like uh, towards the end of chapter 3, it said that after Jesus um, did the miracle at the wedding, that the disciples did what? They believed in him. So ultimately, why would Jesus do these things? So that he would believe in him. Um, I, I bring this back up, and I'm, I don't always do a long review like that. But uh, the focus of John chapter 1 through 4, um, and even moving into 5, it opens with Jesus continuing to perform miracles. Uh, except this time, Jesus, he wasn't met with suspicion or, or interest or people like ready to uh, like just drop everything and follow him. This is a little different. About 18 months before he would go to the cross, we're seeing for the first time it's met with opposition. It's met with like, all right, bro, like, 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 like what's happening here? As we read, you're going you're gonna to hear the tone change. I just wanted to like think about like, you know, we, we had this whole instance and, and we skipped chapter four because we did chapter four when we first started. Um, but in, in, um, in chapters one through three, you see like, you know, Jesus at a wedding and, and people are believing in him. And he has, he has this intimate moment with the servants and the people that are, that, that are serving there at the wedding are the ones who recognize who Jesus is because they are the only ones who know about the miracle, right? Him and them and the disciples. But now 
it's, it's becoming offensive. It's becoming, like the, the tone changes. As we read, um, we know that Jesus came to be with us and for us, right? However, in our human condition, man has always struggled to choose the creator, has not chosen to choose creation over the creator. We unfortunately choose to be in opposition to him. You and I, people that, even folks sometimes that, that claim to know Jesus, we choose to be in opposition to him. The definition of opposition is resistance or dissent expressed in action or argument. So our, our big question that we're going after this morning is, are you in opposition to Jesus? Sounds hard. Sounds difficult. It's, it sounds like an obvious answer. It's like, well, Dane, I'm, I'm not one of my atheist professors. I, I'm not one of these folks that are like, that, that write books and spend their whole lives trying to disprove, you know, that there's, a, that there's, a, that there's some type of deity Clearly, I'm not in opposition to Jesus. I don't wear demonic things and have like crosses turned upside down. I don't have the coexist thing on the back of my car. Like, like, like clearly, I'm not in opposition to Jesus. I want you to just open your mind and your heart for a second. And, and, and one of the reasons why we do this, one of the reasons that we search God's word is that sometimes we have to see that there's things about us that are offensive to God that we don't even know about. And we're not going after legalism. We're going after, like, God, if I'm going to worship you and I'm going to follow you in a way that's pleasing to you, that you understand that my heart belongs to you, then I actually probably need to do the work to make sure that I'm not in opposition to you. So I'm going to start reading. In, I'm in John chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Okay? It reads like this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Can I just pause for a second? As I've been studying this, John is quickly becoming my favorite Bible character because so many of his stories are, 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 are connected to a festival or a feast. So th- what this means is John was at the end of his life, and he's like, man, when did that happen? Uh, when Jesus did the thing at the well. That was at a wedding. We had the, that lamb that day. That was pretty dope. And then the next thing, when he healed that guy down in Jerusalem, yeah, that was at the festival. Yeah, we, we ate good that day. John's connecting so many of the stories of Jesus to a festival or feast. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just had to point that out. Um, now, there is, now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roost colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalid, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. If we see like in verse 3, right, it was a custom at that time for people with infirmities to gather at this pool. Like that there was a belief um, that because there was intermittent springs that may have fed into the pool. Uh, and some ancient witnesses indicate that the waters of the pool were red with minerals. And they thought that it had med- uh, med- uh, medicinal value uh, that was found in this pool. So all these people with sicknesses and things, they would gather just in hopes that the springs would come up. And then they would jump in the pool because they thought that would heal them. And, and that was the belief. And that's what folks hoped for. Um, the word new here in verse 6 uh, where it says, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. This word knew in the Greek implies supernatural knowledge. 
that Jesus, like, like you know, there's so many different ways that the word new is used in Scripture. And in this instance, like, where there's tons of people around, and this is one of the people, one of the things that people, uh, uh, you know, um, um, push back against any preaching of Jesus being a great guy. Because you have all of these sick people there. And Jesus is, is, is there, and he surveys, and he chooses one. And he knew that this guy had been here now, had been here for long, and obviously knew the openness and, the, and even what could happen um, by having this conversation with him. Like, like this person would have been, Jesus would have known that there was an openness and there was a, um, you know, there was a willingness to receive the offer that Jesus would give him. That's hard, right? I mean, because this is something that a lot of us that when we come from spaces and we live our lives, uh, especially when you have a lot of friends that are far from that are far from God. And you think like, well, God, why did you choose me? Why did you reveal yourself to me in this way? Why did you do whatever you did so that at this point in my life, I am um, you could use me in a way that I would start following you that would change my life? Why not my, my friend? Like, there's friends that I, like I've had. Like I, I always think about it. A big part of, um, of my story and, and coming to know Jesus and following Jesus, it really started when one of my best friends moved away. When one of my best friends moved away to Texas, the next day our youth pastor at our church invited me to go out to lunch, and that was when I started to be discipled. And sometimes I think, I like think back, I'm like, well, God, why, like, why couldn't you have done this like two weeks before Michael moved and Kareem could have took us both out to lunch, and we both could have been started to disciple. Well, part of my answer is, and we'll get here, if you are sick, and Jesus shows up in your life in this way, and Jesus tells you to get up and walk, and now you're healed from it, and you saw how the Lord revealed himself to you, why would you not go back to the same pool where you had been from, now that you've been delivered, now that you've been healed, and offer that same to the people there. Is that not like, like, like the heart of the, uh, the idea of making disciples? When did the church start? When Jesus was still on earth before he went to the cross? Why didn't Jesus start the church before he died? Wouldn't Jesus want to be the one like, hey, listen, there's gonna be a, if there's going to be a day of Pentecost and there's going to be a, the best sermon ever given, I'm going to give that one. Peter, you can get the next one. No, wh- why wouldn't Jesus start the church before he died? Well, because... <laughs> the way that discipleship works is that if I reach one, instead of doing it by addition, we could do it by multiplication. You have somebody who's been sick for 38 years and knows the struggle and knows the, the, like the, 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 the pain of what it would have been just hoping for, for a springs to come up uh, and hoping that, uh, um, that they would be healed and that their life would be different. And Jesus comes in a way that they're no longer just focused on just their, their physical healing, but they've met the Messiah. Maybe they don't even know all that. Remember, like the conversation is about to come with the, uh, with, the, with the Jewish leaders. And if you know the story, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, he didn't know much. He didn't even know who the guy was. But at the very least, just to the, the be able to, to, to tell people, which he does, that, hey, there's a guy who told me to get up and walk. So I did. And I think that just goes such a long way. Jesus knew, right? Um, It implies supernatural knowledge of the man's situation. This man suffered from a paralytic condition for a long time and apparently was was frequently at the pool. It said that he had been there for a while. It was a hope that he had been long disappointed. 
Um, Charles Spurgeon um, writes about this passage. He says, a blindness had come over the people at the pool, and there they were, and there was Christ who could heal them, but not a single one of them sought him. Their eyes were fixed on the water, expecting it to be troubled. They were so taken up with their own uh, chosen way that the true way was neglected. I, I look at this, and, and we should understand this as the opposition by hopelessness. The opposition of hopelessness. Um, is this not such a sad story? Is it not such a, uh, a situation where... Um, you can imagine being such a state of hopelessness that your sole focus is on the waters being stirred up. Like, could you imagine, like, like that's what you hoped for? I mean, like, like, like I, you know, I, I come from a family where, where, where um, there is, there's hope in the lottery. You talk to my grandfather, he's like, I've been playing the lottery for 50 years. Surely I'm going to win one of these days. And it's kind of funny and like, okay, like when you, like, and we always talk, like it's a great conversation starter. He always tells me, he's like, Dane, when, <laughs> when I win the lottery, I'm going to buy the biggest church uh, in Maryland. We're going to shut it down and we're going to move your church into that building. <laughs> I'm like, don't do that, daughter. They need to have their church. But, you know, it's just like, it's just funny conversation. But that's, that's funny. But you have been to the gas station and you've probably even been to like uh, uh, the grocery store where this is people's hope. They're hoping for something to happen, and they make their whole, like, 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 they're staying up at night hoping that the numbers are right at their numbers. It's not just the pastime. It's not just something that they think could happen, but their, their whole hope is in it. The same is true for us. Instead of looking to Jesus, we do the same thing. We rather wait around for other options of our hope. I mean, some wait, for, for, uh, um, some wait for a big event to happen. Like, I just got to make it through the school year. I just got to make it through the winter time because Beyonce is coming back on tour. And if I could just make it to the Renaissance tour, life will be great. Uh, like, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like, I, I could almost, I used to like plan my calendar about the next big uh, sporting event. Like, okay, whew, Super Bowl's over. Got about two months till, till March Madness. I can make it. And then after March Madness, then it's time for the NBA Finals. I can make it. But then I got a long way to go. I guess I can watch some baseball. That's fine. But baseball really doesn't get interesting until October. I got to find something to do. X Games are in August. I'll get into X Games. That's cool. I can watch some skateboarding. You know what I mean? But then once I get to August, football's back. Praise God, it's here. Like, you know, people hope in, like, in, in just like a rhythm. They hope in, like, in, in these things or, or, or in vacation, Right. Like you, you, you've you've done this before. Like when you have a, you're looking forward to a big trip, you're looking forward to a big thing. Your hope is there. You almost worship in an aspect of like that's what keeps you sane. Like when you have a big trip on the calendar, you're like, I can make it. I cannot kill my kids. I can I, I cannot kill my coworkers because I'm looking forward to this to this to this trip to where I'm going. And if I if I and if I kill my kids and my coworkers, I'm going to be in jail. I'm not going to be able to make it to my my, my vacation. Sounds dramatic, but you've thought that. Like when we have something that we're looking forward to, that, that becomes what we put our hope in. You know, some, uh, some we put it into our dreams and visions. I was a youth pastor for a while, and, and like, I, I could tell you that what kids worshiped more than Jesus was whatever their goal was. You know, millennials and uh, Gen Z, we were the kids that were told you could do whatever you put your mind to, where you could follow your dreams and passions. But that became their God. That when a kid said, I'm going to be the next 
you know, Beyonce, I'm going to be the next uh, great lawyer, uh, I'm going to be whatever it is, that becomes their jobs and they put their whole hope and trust in that. Well, what if, what if plans change? What if things happen? Now you have your whole hopes and, and everything you put it to. It's not that, like, plans changing is wrong, and it's not even that having goals and aspirations are wrong, but it just can't be what you hope in. Anybody that works with kids or teenagers or, or anything like that, when was the last time when you asked somebody what they want to be when they grow up and they said, I want to be a follower of Jesus? That, it's, it's, it's not even that they're not spiritual. It's that immediately when we get asked that question and we ask the question of hope, right, of what we hope to do, what we hope to be in a later state in time, we quickly go to what the most important thing is to, to to what we should be living our life through that. What should we be following Jesus in doing? You should be following Jesus in being a teacher. You should be following Jesus in being the next superstar, singer, or lawyer. Like, like it should be through your vocation the way that you are proclaiming Jesus. A lot of times we get it reversed, right? Like we just put like Christian at the beginning of our occupation and we think God will be satisfied through that. Where's your hope? Um, we wait for a revival. Some wait for particular feelings about things. Instead, we should look to Jesus who stands in opposition of hopelessness. He stands in opposition to this. Let's go back to the passage. He says, so, so, the, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, the man who healed me, the man who said to me, take up your bed and walk, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and, uh, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This began the campaign to kill Jesus. Like, like I, I, you know... There should be like a clock started because 18 months later, Jesus is at the cross. But like, you know, when you really boil down to it, like what the problem was, this is it. Quick question as we just read this passage. Did anyone else notice that the Jewish leaders didn't ask the man who healed him? Like clearly this, this guy is carrying a mat that, that a paralytic guy would have been laying on. Like somebody would have had to carry him to the, to the pool. And no one's asking the question, hey, you're, you're walking. Like, you don't even need that mat. Like, like, what, 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 like how is this even happening? No, like, the, their focus was purely on the tradition that was being broken. That you didn't do this. They ignored the miracle and instead took offense. See, uh, the Old Testament had forbidden the work on the Sabbath but it did not stipulate what work was. The assumption seemed to be that work was once customary employment, but, the, but the, these rabbis, uh, the rabbinical opinion, 
of the day uh, would have been uh, that develop, uh, through their developed oral tradition with like, you know, it, the, the rabbis, like the Jewish leaders at the time, they had a way of taking God's word and making their own interpretation and demanding that that was the way that you did it, right? Like it would be like one thing, like if you were, if, if you were in, if you were in, um, you know, it's funny, like me and Jen and even Jeremiah and Julian, um, uh, we all worked at a summer camp. And here's the thing about summer camp. There's two type of uh, uh, camp counselors. There's the camp counselors that like they've never been in charge of anything before. And so like it, they're, they're, this is their chance. This is their opportunity to just like, like kill kids' hopes and dreams. Oh, you thought it was summertime. Oh, you thought this was a break. Get in line, shut up, don't say nothing. Like, 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 because they've never been in charge before. And then they're like, then there's the leaders that are like, hey, you're on summer break, but your parents don't love you enough to keep you at home and take you on vacation. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to have some fun, right? And then, like, so you have like two different groups. You have some kids that are like marching in unison down the straight line in the middle of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, of the hallway. And then you have like me group, like my whole groups, like dancing down the hallway, like just like having a good old time, like you know. And what what happens is you have one group. They're like, okay. Does our group need to get to the bus by a certain time? Yes, but we're going to do it in the way that we're supposed to do. But the rule is that they need to be on the bus at a certain time. And then you have the counselors that are like, you're going to do this silently and in order, and you're not going to have any fun or smile, or else you will not swim. You will sit outside in the, by the pool, and you will get eaten by horse flies and like it, right? Well, I mean, like, so, so this, is, this, is the, this is a watered-down version of what's happening here. Like, like of course, like, it was a, it was a, um, it was a rule given from Moses uh, that you were, you know, supposed to observe the Sabbath day. But these Jewish leaders in it and ran with it. They had uh, developed this oral tradition beyond the Old Testament that stipulated 39 forbidden activities. They had taken and said, here are 39 different things that you can't do on the Sabbath day. One of them being carrying anything from one place to another. You couldn't carry anything from one place to another. Just couldn't do it. So this plan wasn't breaking the Old Testament law. He was breaking the uh, current tradition. So here's Jesus standing in opposition by tradition. He's standing in opposition to tradition. Well, listen, like this devotion to the rabbi's interpretation of the Sabbath law, it continues in modern times. It continues today. There was a story in, in 1992, true story, that tenants let three apartments in an Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burned to the ground while they were asking a, ra- a rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath would, viol- would violate Jewish law because they couldn't call. So they, they were waiting for the rabbi to, to, to give an answer because they saw a building on fire. They asked if they could even call to, to call the fire department because doing so would break an electrical current, which is considered a form of work. And in the half an hour it took for the rabbi to decide yes, the fire spread into two neighboring apartments. It's a true story. And, and here's the thing. It's easy to, to poke the Jews and be like, man, that is dumb. Like, like, it's easy to do that here. But don't we all have traditions and rhythms that we love and would have a hard time if Jesus interrupted it? We all have our traditional things. We have all, all, have all our things and our rhythms and traditions that mean a lot to us. And I'm not talking like just like Christmas and, and Thanksgiving. Like, I'm not talking about those traditions. I'm talking about your daily traditions that if, if, if Jesus showed up in your life, in your way, you would have a hard time breaking it. You would. If he interrupted it. You know what's one of the, the hardest traditions for us to deal with Jesus interrupting? Our time. 
it would be a hard time breaking our time. It happened to me this morning, probably for the sake of this message. I, there's, there's times, and I hope, I, I pray to God that this, that for this in your life, there are times when God wakes me up out of my sleep so, like, and I know it, and I'm wide awake, and I know, like, that I'm supposed to get out of my bed, get on my knees, and pray. I know it. And just because I know that the Lord wants me up, he wants me on my knees, he wants me praying to him, that does not change the fact that I am sleepy. Right? Like, it, it, it has nothing to do with, God doesn't give me the, like, supernatural strength to, like, or, like, just makes, like, revives me in a way. Like, just because I, like, God wakes me up to pray doesn't mean that he gives me the awake, the, uh, the wokeness, Right? Awokeness, wokeness, doesn't mean that he, he gives, yeah, he doesn't give it to me in order to, to do that. I still got to make that decision because God, the tradition is that Dane sleeps from this time to this time. What if Jesus interrupted your, your tradition of time? Well, well, how else does this look like? Um, you go to a church that while we gather on Sundays, because that's what we're supposed to do, we ask for your weekdays sometimes. We ask that you would not just meet with these people in, in rows, but, but meet, meet with us in circles. It's a big ask. Everybody has something to do when we have community circles. And sometimes what that thing to do is, is rest. But it's making a commitment and it's making a desire to say that, yeah, we value being together. We, we actually believe what Scripture says in that, you know, like, like that, that, that there is growth that happens, that there is spiritual uh, um, benefit from when we, speak, uh, when, we, when we meet together and share meals together. We think that actually makes us the body of Christ. We value that. I mean, like another one that like a, a tradition of not just time, but tradition of money. You go to a church that, that asks you to give. And that's very invasive. That's very, you know, intruding. But it's Jesus interrupting the tradition. It's tradition for you as an American to make your money and, the, and, and, and to grow your net worth and to keep it to yourself because you got to get ahead and you got to do the best for you and your family and your financial position. And Jesus says, hey, um, you're part of a church, give to it. See how he, like, he stands in opposition to, uh, to traditions. And I think that it's hard for us. Like, I mean, it's one thing to say, like, it's one thing to say, you know, like, it, we feel good about it. We, we pick the one time when Jesus interrupts our traditions and we roll with it. But it makes it really hard to keep doing it. It makes it really hard to keep doing it in other ways. Okay, God, I got it. Like, Sunday morning, it's really inconvenient. Brunch be good on Sundays. Um, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll go listen to Dane for, for, for about 30, 40 minutes on Sunday. I, I, I could do that. But please don't be asking me for my ties. Please don't be asking for my giving. Please don't be asking me for my, for, for, for my other times. Please don't ask me to go across the street and, and, and share Jesus with my neighbors. Please don't ask me to talk to my, my coworkers. Definitely not my coworkers. Yeah, he, he's going to interrupt your traditions. He's going to stand in opposition to them. Traditions become problematic when they become objects of worship of worship instead of the way we worship, instead of the motives in which we worship. Traditions become problematic when they become the objects of our worships instead of the, the vehicles in which we worship. 
I'm going to keep reading. In in verse 19, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only when he sees the Father doing for uh, what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him so that you you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I just want to stop for a second. And this isn't like I, I just want us to like to remember this. One of the, a lot of times when we think about Jesus in opposition to the Jewish leaders, we paint this picture as if like Jesus is pleading his case. Or that, like, you know, that the, the Jewish leaders are like, you know, like, like there's just like this fierce conversation. And by the way, Jesus is being very like, like to what they would be hearing this, they would be so offended by what he's saying. He's speaking to them as a rabbi. He's pulling rank on them. He's like, hey, I know you think that you're so important, but you don't even understand the same words that you're speaking of. Because if you would understand, he's going to get down to in a, in a second here. I'm always getting ahead of myself. Um, um, we're going to get down to like the, what Moses is saying, that he's saying all that you've read. And even what Moses is pointing to is pointing to me. He's pulling rank on these guys. But even in pulling rank, I just feel like there's still like a heart of Jesus here that's sharing about eternal life. I just feel like this, like, like as, a, as, a, as a parent, one of the things that I'm learning from my kids is that they may be in trouble, and all my kids have been in trouble this week. But when they're in trouble, it's still important for me, like, hey, listen, I love you. I care about you. I'm saying this because I want you supposed to do because I really believe this is what's best for you. So even like, especially with Cole, like, he, like you can see like he's like, I, I, I've disappointed, I've disappointed dad. I'm angry at what dad's saying, like in things. So even if I'm telling him that I love him, even if I'm telling him, he's still offended by the fact that he's in trouble. He's still offended by the fact that I'm saying something to him that he doesn't like to hear. So even as Jesus is telling them, they don't want to hear that they don't want to listen to. Do you still hear him talking about about eternity? Do you still hear him talking about salvation? Even in his, even in his retort, he's still showing his, his love and grace. Verse 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming uh, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, uh, done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In verse 30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not on my own, but will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. So that you may be saved. These same guys that are going to kill him, so that you may be saved. For you and I sitting here who stand in opposition with him, so that we may be saved. He was a burning in shining lamp, and you're willing to rejoice for a while in his light. 
but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have the words abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who is, uh, whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I did not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one comes in, uh, in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you did not believe in his writings, how you believe in my words? Listen, if things weren't tense enough, Jesus begins to teach them like a rabbi would. It was like instead of humility listening uh, with the intent to learn, this probably sent them over the edge. I, I, I just love this uh, part of the passage where it says that the son can do nothing of himself. Jesus is, is creating a direct link between him and the father. It means that he as God's son does, does nothing independently. He was and is fully submitted to the father's will. The submission comes by choice, not by coercion or by inferior nature. Relevant to the Sabbath uh, controversy discussed in the previous verses, this was Jesus' way of telling the religious leaders that he did not tell the healed man to carry his bed on his own authority. That this was a, this was a, a joint decision. He did this in complete submission to, the, to God the Father in heaven. So Jesus is, is pointing, the, uh, is standing against the opposition of unbelief. Jesus makes it clear that having life is found in fulfilling the command to come to me. That Jesus is going right up against their unbelief. Like that's, I think that's the reason for the tenseness. It's like, hey, listen, you, you guys don't get it yet. And you're probably not going to get it. But, but, but the reason like, you have a problem with this, the reason why you have a problem with me performing, this, uh, performing this, uh, uh, um, this miracle on the Sabbath is because you don't know who helped create the Sabbath in the first place. You don't have, you have an understanding, so I'm going to stand in complete opposition to your unbelief. I'm going to have nothing to do with it. Like, do we ever think about it like that? That it, it, it was like, you know, like we, we saw in chapter four that, you know, what Jesus did, he, he's standing with this woman, he's having this conversation with her, but he reveals himself in a way that she would believe in him and then go into the crowd and tell everybody about it. He never says it's okay. He never says, like, oh, I understand you don't believe in me yet. He stands in complete opposition to it. Jesus makes it clear that having life is found in fulfilling the command to come to me. Christ is a person. A living person full of power to save, and he has not placed his salvation in the sacraments or the books or the priests, but he has kept it to himself. And if you want to have it, you must come to him. So listen, I, I think that it's important that in one or more ways, we start in a place of opposition to Jesus. We just do. And, and, and part of the salvation process is understanding that. And that something drastically has to change for, for that to happen for us to move from, from these places. So like we talked about at the beginning, like, like, like we all start in a place of hopelessness, but we got to move 
to a place of, of hope in Jesus. That, that we all like, move from a place of worshiping our own traditions and, and adhering to our own traditions to actually worshiping Jesus. And most importantly, we got to move from a place of unbelief to a place of bringing you to Jesus. I mean, like, I, I'm so excited. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, like, as the band gets ready to come join us. Um, I am, um, I've been thinking about this a lot. When, when you think about um, so many of the stories in the Gospels, that for, for whatever, like, reason, the, there's all these, like, different folks and, and people that are at, at best skeptical about Jesus or skeptical about the Father, skeptical about different things as it relates to who Jesus is. And they all start in a space where they don't believe in him. But they have to get to a point where they recognize their own unbelief. They recognize their own opposition to him. And Christ moves them to a new space. He moves them from being in an unbelieving space to believe, uh, bringing them to Jesus. I think the way that we got to respond this morning is by moving our hearts from opposition against him to being connected to him. I think we got to move from a space from, from, from uh, seeing that, listen, the, the way that I stand, the way that I live in my life, the way that I, I, I approach the, the rhythms and the traditions of my life is in opposition to what Jesus wants me to care about. It's just not that important. And, and, if, the, and if the God of the universe, if, if Jesus, the Savior of my soul, the one who died for me uh, and gave me, uh, gave me eternal life, if he wants to interrupt my life, he has the right to do that. He probably has the better idea what that would happen anyway. What's going to matter in the long run for me? What, what's, gonna, what's just going to matter longer? That Dane gets an extra 30 minutes of sleep? Or that when God invites me to spend, in, to spend intentional time with him on my knees, that I'll be willing to inter interrupt my tradition of time to meet him there. And even though it may be harsh, even though it may just be uncomfortable, even just like the, the notions that, that Jesus would speak against and firmly against my own unbelief, the spots that I haven't surrendered to him yet, my own unbelief in my own life, It, it, like my, my decision to trust him, my, my, my decision to move to, to, to walking with him, to following him, it's going to matter longer. I, I, I think this is hard. Like anything and everything that we could want in our lives, we can go and get it. If you work hard enough, you can go and get it. And I think for a lot of us, we hope in things because we just need something to feel better. And a lot of us are like, the, like these, these people waiting at this pool in hopelessness. And I just can't help but feel like, that's, like that probably resonates with somebody in here. I know it resonates with me sometimes where it, it's heartbreaking sometimes when my kids are like, life would be so much better, Daddy, if we had a bigger house. And I'm like, man, like, God, I, I, would, I would love to give that to them sometimes. But the Lord's saying, like, what are you putting your hope in? Is that really what you're waiting on? Is that really what you're, you're putting your hope in? A different circumstance? Where the God of the universe and Jesus stands in complete opposition while this man is waiting to be put in the pool 
He says, hey, get up and walk. Pick up your stuff and walk. Because hope in me is a lot better than anything else you can find. The way we respond this morning is, is, is that our hope would be in Jesus. It's a lot of things that you think you could fix your hope to. But what's never been regretted is putting our hope in Jesus. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, I think that you, um, I think you want us to respond by, instead of standing in opposition to you, standing with you. I think you want us to trust you, that you're better than our traditions. I think you want us to trust that if we would allow you to and, and, and do the hard work of turning our hearts from unbelief to moving with you and trusting in you, that life is better spent in that position. God, my prayers for my friends here, uh, for, our, for our church family here, that um, in their different ways, they're like the man at the pool. Or they're like one of the religious leaders to where we, we care so much about our stuff and our traditions and our time and our money and our things that we stand at it and knowing that you are yearning for it because you can do better with our time and our finances than we ever could. God, we ask you for your grace and your understanding and your mercy so that we can stop staying in opposition to you. that we could trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.